outrightinternational.org Ukraine. Hello from the employees of the Commonwealth Club. Before we begin, we want to take a moment to acknowledge the international crisis taking place in Ukraine and highlight an organization providing humanitarian assistance to people living in or fleeing Ukraine because of the war. Outright Action International is an organization dedicated to fighting for the human rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, and queer people everywhere. In response to the Russian invasion, Outright established a Ukraine fund to support local partners in Ukraine and neighboring countries who are providing emergency assistance to LGBTIQ people in need of safe shelter, food, medical care, transportation for those fleeing the country, and other types of humanitarian support. Because mainstream humanitarian systems too frequently leave LGBTIQ people behind. We encourage you to learn more about how to support Outright's important work by visiting outrightinternational.org slash Ukraine. Thank you for listening. Welcome to another podcast from Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club of California. Get tickets to upcoming live or online events at commonwealthclub.org slash Inforum. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at InforumSF. And now, here's our program. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's virtual Commonwealth Club and Creating Citizens program. My name is Kara Platoni, and I'm the U.S. Science Editor at Wired.com. And it's my pleasure to introduce science writer and bestselling author Mary Roach. Mary's new book is Packing for Mars for Kids. And it's a guide to the strange, frequently gross, but always awe-inspiring realm of space travel and life without gravity. So tonight is going to be really fun. We want to take your questions later in the program, so please submit them in the chat, at the text chat on YouTube. And first of all, welcome, Mary. It's so nice to see you. Oh, thank you so much, Kara. Lovely to see you. All right. So um, the thing that amazes me about this book is that humanity is just way better at space travel than we should be. Everything that you write tells us that we are really not very well adapted to any environment other than Earth. So your book is kind of this uh, cool story of how some very part smart people have uh, solved the problem of getting the human body into space. So I thought we could talk about some of those problems and some of the ways that people have tried to engineer solutions to them. And I think the biggest problem the one that you start out with is that we're just not very, we're not very good at floating. We're, we're, we're not good at floating. No, we're, um, we uh, evolved for earth gravity. And uh, when you take that away, when you take away gravity, everything, every machine on earth stops working just about, not everything, but a lot of things stop working, uh, including the machine known as the human body. Uh, there are things that uh, don't work that well and in the, it what i what i loved uh, what was so fun to research was in the very early days um, before any human had even gone into space there was this this period of of hand wringing and like what if the eye changes shape and the astronaut won't be able to see what if uh you won't be able to swallow what if food doesn't move along the elementary canal like what if we need gravity for that what if you know what's going to happen so uh, the very, uh, the, it was a lot of baby steps. It was send, sending little animals and primates up and, you know, measuring the heartbeat and measuring, you know, just making sure the, the system still worked because nobody knew. Yeah. So they were worried basically that what if the human body can't do normal human body stuff in this? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the things they possibly weren't thinking about, like the fact that when you don't, have gravity on your bones and your muscles. You don't have resistance and you don't have, um, you, you know, you're not walking with weight. Your body's kind of like, you know, these muscles and bones, I don't really need them anymore. I'm just going to kind of yeah. dismantle them. We don't need those anymore. And that's bad. And that, that was, you know, possibly not something that was anticipated in the beginning. They, the, the beginning was like, will people be able to begin to pee? Like there was a, they were tests. Hmm. That was, that was, there was a, right. a I wrote about it in, in the book. There was a, um, there was a, one of those zero gravity flights, you know, where that does the trajectory like this. It was a smaller jet, not like the vomit comet, you know, where when you go over and down, you have 20 seconds of weightlessness. And so they had these volunteers, I think it was the Navy 
did this and they, you know, they had them drink like seven or eight glasses of water before they went up and then gave them like something to pee in while they were floating just to make sure <laughs> that they could initiate micturition. That's what they said, micturition <laughs> being a, a, a kind of a wonky military word, I guess, for urination. Anyway, so micturition. And they were, they peed fine. Okay. <laughs> they could pee fine. <laughs> Thank goodness. So Thank is, goodness. The, is the problem that on, on Earth, liquids move down in space with no gravity, liquid could go anywhere it wants yeah, to? Yeah, exactly. Um, um, that is, that's an issue, not starting to pee, which was the, um, the inquiry of that particular way back when experiment. However, though, um, with the with the bladder, the way the bladder works is uh, as the, you know, the fluid settles to the bottom and it starts to expand, the organ starts to expand and there are stretch receptors. It's a kind of nerve that tells your brain, well, this, this uh, is stretching to a kind of a scary point. That means it's, it's getting very full and you need to empty it. That's how we know we have to pee. Well, in zero gravity, in weightlessness, the, the material, the, the urine doesn't collect and it's all, it kind of goes all over the bag that is the bladder. And so yeah. you don't get that signal when you should. And then the, it can get so full that you can't start to pee. And that's a self-catheterization situation Ooh, on, the, no. <laughs> on the spacecraft. Yeah. No. Okay. So there's, there's that problem. There's the problem of will astronauts lose their muscles because they don't have to do any work to lift things and to move around. Right. Um, what about the problem of do, do people get sick? in space they get people kind of do yes people get uh uh space motion sickness uh is a real problem um because the inside the ear the way that we know uh if we're standing up or lying down or what what we're doing how we're oriented in space uh, we need gravity because the, the, the what happens is these little um concretions these little basically minerals little rocks in the inner ear um those move around kind of like in a pinball machine i mean they're they're whichever way you have turn your head they're they're landing on these little bristles and that tells your brain oh you're lying down or, or what position you're in so in zero gravity those are just floating in there so you move your head suddenly and they're like ping 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 so Ooh. they're telling your brain you just stood up and lay down and stood up and lay down and stood up, but your eyes are going no no you didn't you just turned your head and so your your um your brain responds just by throwing its hands in the air and making you nauseous. So the, uh, the first few days of a mission, the astronauts uh, tend to be pretty sick. Uh, oh. And in the early, uh, you know, Gemini and Apollo, nobody wanted to admit that. It was thought of like, you weren't a real man if you were sick. So you, you know, they, they, they didn't talk about it at all. And this poor guy, Rusty Schweikert, an Apollo astronaut who uh, got very, very, he got very sick and not, not probably not that much more sick than any, any other Apollo astronaut, but he, there was a concern. He was going to throw up in his space helmet on a spacewalk. He was going to be in the, actually in the airlock. I think it was testing. I don't know. Is he going to, anyway, I forget. And he was going to be testing the life support system. And it was an important thing that he had to do. And he was really nauseous and he was afraid they're going to call off the entire thing because he was barfing. And he, so, um, and that would have been a, that's a dangerous thing in a space helmet. Yeah. If you were to, bar, you were to barf, uh, the barf would kind of just float there. Oh, it, could no. get, it could get in your eyes and, and um, there's stomach acid in barf because it's coming out of the stomachs so that could sting and that could kind of temporarily blind you as could the barf sticking to the visor. Because when there's no gravity, um, the barf, I mean, if there were gravity, you'd throw up and it'll kind of go down to the bottom, which is gross, but not dangerous. Whereas um, it, uh, in zero gravity, it would just kind of, and it would, it would kind of cling because when you oh, take away gravity, now you have surface tension as the force that's determining what happens to this, these blobs of vomit or water or whatever it is that's floating around. So they kind of like stick to the eyes and the nostrils and the mouth and you could breathe it in and so it was a again it was a concern that um that nasa had and there were um experiments where they were simulating i mean going on the you know the simulated weightlessness vomit comet as it was called and you know that would be something they would test and i know that in one of those 
tests, they for the simulated vomit, they used Progresso vegetable soup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so astronauts have to well, they have to practice being in zero gravity or something like zero gravity, and they have to practice doing all of this normal life stuff like. Yes. How do you use the bathroom? How, how do you deal with, you know, yeah. not getting sick, right? So tell us a little bit about the, the well, tell us about the Vomit Comet. What, is, what in the world sure. is the Vomit Comet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vomit Comet. Well, the Vomit Comet uh, has been retired since since I did the book, um, but th there are still, um, there's a company that, that does it now called Zero Gravity Corps. Um, but the it's, it's basically a plane, like a big passenger jet plane that you would take to fly across country but all most of the seats are gone and uh, there's a few in the back uh, that where you sit when you get out to where they're going to do the roller coaster it's just sort of like up and down and like steep uh, like don't look out the window plane Wait, <laughs> heading steeply so, toward the so ground the plane is the plane going is like this going like this the plane is going like Yes, exactly. And as it goes over and down, you have about 22 seconds where you are floating. You have no weight. Wow. And it is so awesome. It's you, you are a soap bubble. You're just floating and your organs inside you are floating and your hair is floating. And it's incredibly kind of physically euphoric and fun. Um, and uh, provided that is that you take the um, anti-nausea <laughs> drugs that they give you beforehand which is important which, otherwise it goes from being like the most awesome day of your life to the worst day of your life there was one guy on our zero gravity flight um named pat and pat um he was sick before we even started doing the roller coaster thing and um they you know they they took him and kind of took him floating to the to the back and strapped him in a seat because uh you can imagine if pat had thrown up where in the place where everybody's floating around doing their stuff uh that vomit would have floated or every, would have been everybody's companion on the flight for the duration of the flight oh no Poor it, would have, it would have come back down because well you go over and down and then the plane pulls out of the dive thankfully uh and comes back up and now you have when they're accelerating going back up now you have double gravity so you're lying down on the plane you weigh twice as much you can't pick your head up off the floor of the plane because it weighs twice as much or your neck well i don't know some people's necks are strong but i couldn't pick my head up and then and then you're one gravity and then you start to float up into the air wow. so it's this bizarre you know lying on the ground being super heavy and then everybody everybody just sort of rises up it's it's like some weird I don't know what's that religious thing where people where they where they float? No, no, no. Where... Like, it's, it's, everybody's supposed to float. I don't know. There's a word for it. <laughs> so but someone will someone will write in with it. Maybe something. Somebody anyway. will chat uh, chat yeah. us. So you have 22 seconds where you're everybody's floating, and then 22 seconds where you're super heavy, and then well, in yeah. those 22 seconds, are they trying to do science experiments or yes. they're flying around? Yes. What's happening? They're often. Um, uh, they're they're testing things because you know for example uh, the zero gravity toilet that was tested it, it on they hauled it onto this one of these big planes anything that you're going to send up into space that has to function without gravity um, I mean be weightless uh, that's got to be tested so everything gets hauled onto over onto the, one of these planes and flown and they in the you know 22 seconds at a time they're testing wow. it. Wow. Yeah. And then, so, uh, so everybody has 22 seconds to do the first part of the experiment and they got to stop. And then they got to then... like lie there and be heavy <laughs> and then because it goes like two gravity and then one gravity it, it's gradual. So, so, you know, you, you, you're, you're like, you feel yourself sort of part of you sort of comes up and then you're literally just weightless floating for a while. And then you're gradually, it's not like it drops you. <laughs> like, wow. Oh, no, we're going from two to zero. It, it's gradual. It's lovely. It's very nice. Is it like, is it like swimming? That's the only thing I can think of. To um, to. I've heard astronauts say that, and it is, I mean, that's the closest thing, but it isn't because it's not like swimming because when you swim, you feel the water holding mm -hmm. you up. And when you move, you feel resistance to the water. Mm -hmm. You don't have that. You, you're, you just have no weight and nothing's huh. hold. You're just you're basically free falling is, is what it is. You know, you could jump off a very high building and <laughs> have the same experience except with <laughs> more wind and more death. But, um, it's a very bad ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a, 
you know, I guess it would better, better you have a little split second of that, like on an elevator or, or a roller coaster, you know, when you, you've got a, a second or so of that um, in, in certain scenarios on earth, but it's not the same because it's sort of like lurching and you're, you know, you feel mm -hmm. your insides kind of like shifting and it's not that pleasant, but it's very pleasant. And, and that you can, uh, if you want to blow like $6,000, you can experience that uh, Zero Gravity Corporation now. They're the ones that do this work for NASA now. The Vomit Comet oh, yeah. was retired, and you were never supposed to call it the Vomit Comet. You were supposed <laughs> to call it the Weightless Wonder. <laughs> uh, it's not as catchy. <laughs> no, it kind of makes me vomit. The so Weightless is, Wonder. <laughs> is there any other way that astronauts can practice for space before they oh. go to space? Yes, yes, they do. They do use it. There's a giant swimming pool, like huge swimming pool at, um, well, there's a couple of them, but one at Johnson Space Center where astronauts uh, do most of their training. And in this giant swimming pool is submerged pieces, uh, rep uh, replicas of the International Space Station. So, hmm. you, you, and they, and they put on, they, they'll put on a full suit and they'll get in the water. So they are floating and it's adjusted so that they are floating in water so it approximates mm -hmm. weightlessness so they can move through you know there's all these handles and footholds and they rehearse over and over and over step by step second by second how they are going to move like say they're fixing a solar panel or something they've got to go outside and move along the outside you know traveling 17,000 miles an hour I mean you look down you're like ah yeah so it's um uh, it's something they rehearse over and over and uh, in this giant pool. That NASA. part sounds fun. I, I'm not yeah. I'm not so sure about 22 seconds of free fall in a plane, but that, that part sounds cool. Oh, uh, cool. no, you would love it. Because <laughs> they give you the good, they give you the good, you know, it's like the patch behind the ear. It's an intense version of that. <laughs> Polamine, it's good. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So you can take anti-nausea drugs yes, so to yes. avoid barfing in your helmet. That's that's good to know. Yes, yes. So, you okay. can take Although the astronauts don't because that just delays the adaptation to it. They basically have to muscle through it. And, and oh. adapt, you know, your brain, your brain adjusts, your brain goes, okay, new scenario, new rules, we will figure this out. So the, the brain does adjust. And, um, but the, it's kind of like going to sea, I think you have a couple of days of being seasick as a sailor, mm -hmm. and then you kind of get your sea legs, as they say. So Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They got to kind of tough it out for the first few days. They do. Yeah. Adapt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So um, another challenge is people have to eat all of the time. Uh, if you're going to send them to Mars or somewhere really far away, you have to pack a, a lot of lunch. So let's talk a little bit about uh, space lunch. Here on Earth, my number one requirement for food is that it be delicious. Um, I think space food is different. What what qualities do you want in a space food? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, in the early days, Gemini and Apollo, um, those, that space food, um, it was designed to constipate you. And I'll tell you why, because <laughs> there was no toilet. Oh, no. Um, on, so so the, and the astronauts, particularly on a short, say, or, you know, matter of days mission, um, the, their goal was just to not have to use what you had was a bag to go to the bathroom. Mm. You had a, I mean, to poop a bag with a little adhesive peel and stick ring that you slapped on your butt and you went in the bag. Anyway, so the food... The food was specifically designed. It was highly processed, no fiber, no, you know, none of the stuff that ends up in your poop. Um, and it wasn't very, you know, highly processed, sterile, uh, pretty bland. And they also, they made it, they didn't want any crumbs because in space, if you have crumbs, they're going to be floating around. They could get into the equipment. They could, you know, cause problems. And plus it's gross. There's, you know crumbs floating around in front of you all, all the time so the um they were designed to be just popped in your mouth they were like little tiny sandwiches they were like little they were called sandwich cubes and there was, all, <laughs> there, was there were bacon cubes there were uh everything was a little tiny cube um there were tubes also in the mercury era that you just sort of squeeze a sloppy joe into your mouth but the astronauts hated that because you couldn't smell or see what you were getting until you squeezed it in your mouth it's kind of like, ah, what am I going to get? <laughs> so you don't like, know. It, 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 it could be broccoli. It could be cake. You don't know. There'd be, a, there'd be, it would say on it what it was. But, you know, if it says sloppy Joe, it may or may not have any resemblance at all to a sloppy Joe. 
well, it'll, actually, be, it'll be sloppy, but you know. we have a, a really good question. This is from somebody who's nine years old, yes. uh, which I think it is related to the sloppy joke. Um, so they want to know, did you try, have you ever tried any space food and was there anything that you liked or you didn't like? I did try. Yes. They, they, um, they still use those tube foods. Um, some of the fighter pilots, uh, because they're in the middle of a mission and they have helmets and you can you can kind of plug it into the helmet and squeeze it into your mouth. There's sort of a straw that uh, goes through <laughs> this port and you squeeze it in. So I did try Sloppy Joe and it um, it kind of just was like a meal of spaghetti sauce uh, with but run through pureed. So, you know, just not very fun to eat because you don't, there's nothing to chew, right? Everything. Oh, because it's not like the bread part and then no, the, it's just it's like it's all they mixed. Put, they put, it's like they put a sloppy joe in a blender and then put it in the tube. <laughs> Things that worked well, I like the applesauce, is basically applesauce. That was fine. Mm-hmm. The applesauce was good. Um, I, I know that these days um, the food is much more. Uh, it's more normal. Like they figured out, look, if it's a little bit gloppy, it'll, and you eat carefully, it'll stick to the spoon, you know, or you can, uh, th- th- you d- doesn't have to be little, these little cubes and the cubes were coated in this oil so, to prevent crumbs. They were, th- nobody liked them. They were like fly into space and come right back down. So uh, everything's I, kind of like a sticky little, like a stick, like the, the, the coating would stick to the roof of their mouth. It was gross. Um, but but the, there's an astronaut story, Musgrave, uh, who he went up on, I think it was the shuttle, uh, maybe the ISS, maybe. Anyway, but it, he uh, he really liked the shrimp cocktail. and Because the shrimp cocktail, is kind of like shrimp cocktail. You know, there's not much you can do to wreck shrimp cocktail. So he, <laughs> and the astronauts would get all these choices to choose, you know, for their menu and for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He, he was like, shrimp cocktail, shrimp cocktail, shrimp <laughs> cocktail, every single meal. And I'm like, I'm with you because I've tried some of the other stuff. And uh, yeah, it's not so good. It also tends to be bland because particularly for the long missions, uh, if something has is very flavorful, you kind of, it, it, it has a limited amount of time where you're going to enjoy it. It's just like, Oh, not that again. It's too, it's too intense. So they tend to, it tends to be bland. Um, That's why on the international space station, there's all these little bottles of condiments, like hot sauce, tubes of pesto. People bring their own um, delicious, spicy thing. As long as it's uh, considered, it has to be, I think they have to test it, make sure it's, you know, sterilely packed and like, it's not going to, because they're, they're concerned about they don't want germs up there right they don't like, want to bring a strange microbe to space that's gonna they don't, yeah and it might mute you know might mutate and they might come back down and you know, <laughs> cosmic rays might do something to it and then there'd be a mighty plague and a disaster <laughs> a disaster movie come not. to life yeah did you know that nasa is experimenting with growing food on the international space station they, yes uh, yeah they grew yes. some chili peppers just this last fall which was really cool that is really cool. They've been growing. Yeah, they've been growing stuff. The the the, the Soviets on the, um, one of their space stations um, had Solut, I think it was. That um, there's this wonderful story that they were going to grow, just to see how they would grow uh, uh, onion bulbs. So they sent up onion bulbs, and they were supposed to you know germinate and you know see how they grow in weightlessness. And there's the astronaut Lebdev, I think was his name. He wrote this journal. And he said that, um, he said, yeah, so we got the onions and um, the uh, scientists were, they would check in every few days. How are the onions going? Did they, did they bloom? We're like, yes, yes, they did. They bloomed. Uh Uh-huh. And then they, they kept asking us these questions. Like, how are they doing? How are they doing? He goes, my God, we have to tell you, we opened, we, they sent up some bread and salt. So we ate the, we ate your onions. (laughs) Oh no! It's we so had terrible. them with bread and salt. They were delicious. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's oh, it's very bad form to eat somebody else's science experiment. The experiment, yeah. Oh no, it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> but just to have something fresh, you know, something something fresh is so uh, is so enticing. Um, they also talked about, you know, when there was an experimental greenhouse again, just growing different plants to see how they would grow. This same guy said. Um, we spent all our time just sort of hanging around the greenhouse, tending to them. They were our loves. That's what he said. They were our loves. Oh, that's really sweet. But yeah. I have to imagine that they they must miss Earth and they must miss yes things yeah. like you know onions. smells of outdoors, even onions. Yeah, 
Um, oh, okay. So um, we have a good follow-up question on the topic yes. of food. All right. This is from somebody in the audience. They want to know what if you have gas in space? Oh, excellent. Excellent <laughs> question. Okay. Well, we have really two different kinds of gas. So I'm going to start with the kind of gas that you get with um, carbonation. Because this was in space, um, there was a lot of effort put into, can we have a Coke machine uh, on the International Space Station, I think it was, or the shuttle, I forget. So the Coca-Cola company, I believe it was Coke, not Pepsi, uh, they spent a lot of time figuring, they're like, okay, I think we've done it. Because it's a problem because uh, with carbon, carbonation is little bubbles, you know, when the bubbles are lighter and they float up to the top. And there's that wonderful fizzy, fizzy kind of action that you have and you drink it and it's lovely. But what happens um, in space, the bubbles don't rise to the top and then it, there'd be, you know, the, it was sort of a frothy mess, but they did sort of figure out how to make it drinkable. But then what happened is the gas in the stomach, you know, normally when you have, you drink carbonation, carbonated beverages, the gas rises to the top of your stomach and, you know, you're, you know, expands and you belch it out. But when it, 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 it everything weighs the same that gas doesn't rise to the top it's kind of just all over so Ooh. you are bloated you get that bloated feeling but you can't burp oh no or if you do burp water comes out with it and it's gross so the <laughs> astronauts are like we feel bloated and we can't burp and so this was a big failure oh so, so no soda in space so no soda no beer oh. the, the beer was going to be an issue anyway but um <laughs> no soda pop in space so that's one issue with gas the other that's your that's the stomach gas you also the intestine now intestinal gas uh intestinal gas um was something that nasa was concerned about particularly with a small sealed capsule because of course the space capsule has to be very well sealed uh because uh, you, otherwise you're in trouble in the vacuum of space so it's, it's a sealed space small space two two people two uh adult males uh and if they there was a concern because um flatus the gas in your intestine uh is mostly the main component is hydrogen there's also methane both of those uh are flammable and if they hit the right concentration then a spark could ignite and cause a fire and nasa was very worried about that particularly after the fire in apollo one so they actually had a flatulence consultant on retainer (laughs) I would they love did. to know how somebody gets that job. They, yeah, Michael Levitt. I spent some time with him. He was it, he's uh, related to S- Stephen Levitt, is it? The guy who does the uh what's the economy? Oh, right. Freakonomics. Freakonomics, thank you. He's, yeah. th- they're related. Cousins maybe? Uh, anyway, um yeah, so he was for many years the um the flatulence consultant for wow. NASA. Okay. Very quickly, they determined that he was not going to reach dangerous levels. However, it you know could smell pretty badly, so they were they did not they wouldn't send up foods that tended to produce a lot of gas or a lot of stink. Yeah. So. Well, that sounds smart, right? (laughs) I mean, it's a lot of people in a small space. Yeah, in a small space. So, going to the bathroom is is really hard, and it sounds like it's pretty unpleasant. Um, Without getting too, I mean, mildly gross, but not too gross. Tell us a little bit about some some of the ways people have tried to solve this problem because you you can't hold it forever, right? Or can you? Uh, Well, well, uh, I I spoke to Jim Lovell, he of Apollo thirteen fame. I I called him because I was interested in Gemini seven, which was a restricted hygiene. It was a, it was a human body like like let's what is going to happen to the body without a shower for two weeks, um, pooping in a bag? You know, how is this going to go? And he um, he said that he really thought he could make the entire time without using the fecal bag. <laughs> but at like day six, he's like Frank Frank Borman, the other guy in the space capsule. He's like Frank, this is it. <laughs> No, <laughs> passing the bag. <laughs> oh, so do they actually but, have? They have so a toilet now. now? They no, no, yes. Now they have. Now they have toilets. Yes, in the uh, Gemini and Apollo, there there was there wasn't room for a toilet. They're just. I mean, it was a very small space. Um, try to keep things light. You know, as little weight as possible. Uh, it's you know, the, the lighter it is, the easier it is to launch it. Uh, so 
no room, no room for a toilet. Uh, but once, the, once there was, um, you know, the, the space station, the space shuttle, those, those had, those had toilets, but not the kind of toilet <laughs> like we have, like no water coming down and flushing things away. That requires gravity. Uh, mm-hmm. Water without gravity just is blobs, you know, kind of interesting to look at, but not helpful if you want to flush away <laughs> what you just contributed to the toilet. That, by the <laughs> way, is a NASA term contributions the contributions yes yes I have, to, con- I have to go to the bathroom to make my contribution my contribution yes the <laughs> contribution so the whole uh the whole process the whole mechanism had to be rethought so to- the engineers the toilet the waste management system engineers at nasa are heroes to my mind because uh um, the 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 fecal bag thing was a, a morale buster uh i mean it was it was awful the the space capsule smelled like a porta potty. There's a point in the um, mission transcript for I forget which Apollo mission where they're talking about yeah we're going to have to you know power down the such and such M3 and then uh, whose is that? Get me a napkin, Jesus oh, no. Christ! There's a turd floating <laughs> oh, in the no. air. It's actually in, and I know this because I did a you know uh, control F search of the word turd <laughs> for the entire <laughs> thousand word document. Um, So anyway, those guys who came up with this system, you know, it was a pretty heroic thing. And they have a little mission badge that says proud to be of service. And I think those toilet engineers have every reason to be proud because they they totally rethought it. It's not water. It's it's airflow Mm -hmm. that is kind of um, entraining the contribution, kind of like like um, a vacuum. it's it's, just like- it's it's more like it's like a shop vac it's it's the it's airflow it's not suction but yeah like a like va- vacuum but mm-hmm. but not you're not it's it's it, they, they explain this to me the difference between suction and airflow anyway it's it's air coming through the little hole up near the top and you got to be careful as you sit down that you don't you, you know you you dock with it in a way that you are not going to plug up the holes you are kind of just docking and you have to like hold yourself to it because you can't sit on the toilet you're sort of hovering above it so you got to like hold yourself to it and 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 hit it at the right angle and uh it's not that easy and it's it's tricky enough that down at johnson space center they had uh, i don't know if it's still there but they had a uh, something called a positional trainer which was a toilet with a video camera in the bowl facing up oh no low circuit (laughs) tv so you are sitting on there and looking at the view of your butthole uh so that you know yeah you're like so that you can get your angle right you're not too far back you're not off to the side that you're gonna because it's a much smaller hole than an earth toilet nope 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 nope, i'm just not doing it (laughs) (laughs) and they said they're like and i said i want to try it out and uh you know, they, they're like, okay, we'll leave the room. You can, you know, turn on the light in the toilet bowl and you'll be able to see yourself and you'll be able to experience the positional trainer. And then as they're leaving, like, they're like, Mary, you do understand this is not a working toilet. <laughs> like, <laughs> because he said it's happened before that somebody's actually crapped on the camera. Oh, yeah. that's, that's bad as eating somebody else's space onions. You don't want to yeah, do that. I know no, you don't want to do that. We have, a, we have some really good questions coming in. I'm excited about these questions. So, um, okay, so we already know that water is a problem in space uh, for, for using the toilet. Somebody wants to know then how do astronauts shower in space? This is a question from a nine-year-old. Oh, great question. Great question. There were efforts to make a space shower. Um, they were all failures, basically, because the water would... Um, it would come out, um, well, first of all, it had to come out just right. If it came out slowly, you know, it kind of just like form a big blob. And if it came out too hard, it would hit you, hit your body, bounce off, and then little tiny blobs of water would go all over and you had to chase them down and make sure you got them all because you don't want like bits of water getting into the electrical system. (laughs) So that didn't work well. They tried to do this sort of tube where the water, like it would wash you wet you wash you and dry you inside this tube and it um it didn't wet you very well wash you very well or dry you it it didn't it just didn't work um at all uh, there's a that guy lebdev the one who wrote that memoir about being on solute the space station he said they had a shower 
um, but the, the, you know, the blobs of water would stick to your, you know, your eyes and your nostrils. And so he said they would wear a snorkel mask. And he said, <laughs> you cannot imagine how strange it is to see a naked man floating through this, <laughs> floating across the room to the shower, wearing a snorkel mask, which is an image that stayed with me. So the answer to the question is they don't shower. They use oh. wet, they use wet wipes you know, kind of, yeah. And some, you know, dry shampoo, that kind of stuff that I never understood that kind of like kitty litter. powder. Yeah. Yeah. Powder kind of, I guess, absorbs the grease sort of like that. There's some sort of dry shampoo and Mm. they uh, just wipe clean. Wow. Could they just, could they skip it? Cause they, could they just say, I'm not going to bathe and I'm not going to change my clothes and I'll just, I'll just stink for the whole trip. Um, I think they they, they kind of did that. Well, with the uh, uh, Gemini and Apollo, they um, kept their suit. They were supposed to keep their pressure suit on the whole time because if there was a if there were a leak, uh, and um, the air pressure was you know getting dangerously low, they would be able to inflate the suit and they'd be safe. So they were wearing. They were going to for that Gemini Seven uh, restricted hygiene flight I talked about that Jim um, Lovell was on and Frank Borman, they were supposed to wear those suits the whole time. And it was just too gross. They finally said, okay, NASA said, okay, one of you can get out of it and be in your long underwear and the other one keep one on. (laughs) So they traded back and forth. And um, Jim Lovell said that um, uh, his his son after that would always say, my dad orbited the earth in his underwear. <laughs> That's great. Who has to wear the clothes today? Who yeah, exactly. To- <laughs> okay, so this is a great follow-up question. This is from a 10-year-old listener. They want to know, do you sweat in space? You do sweat. You sweat if you're exercising. And the astronauts, uh, because they're worried about losing bone and muscle, they're, they're, they have to do weight training and they, they do a lot of exercise. So they, they do work up a sweat just as they would on Earth. And it's very important for that. It's very important to have f- lots of fans because if you're, you know, if you're exercising, um, you're, you're giving off heat and moisture. And it, if there's no, uh, if there's no gravity, there's nothing, there's no convection, there's no like the lighter, you know, the hot air rises and goes away from the body and the cooler air would come in. It just hovers. Mm-hmm. It's like being in a super humid, like Florida, mm-hmm. 90%, 98% humidity day. Uh, so it would just kind of hover there and you would overheat. So they have fans everywhere that like fans are very important on the spacecraft. Right. It's not like you can't just like crack a window, right. To cool off. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, you have to, and and if you're sleeping and you're not in a, in a good spot where the air is going to be circulating, you know, your, your exhalations, the CO2 that, you know, the waste air that you're exhaling kind of just hovers around Mm. you and get headaches and you, you know, so you want to make sure you're near a fan. Wow. Okay. So uh, lot, there are lots of challenges to overcome. I think um, one of the last ones that I wanted to ask you about is it, it seems to me that one of the big problems about people is other people. So do astronauts get annoyed or like tired of being in this little tiny cabin? <laughs> all these other people? Yes. The answer would be yes. Uh, they, um, you know, they, 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 there's something that's called, there's a name for it. It's called irrational antagonism. And, and you can, if you don't have to be in space, you can be uh, uh, in an Antarctic camp where you're just stuck together because if you went out into the wilderness, you'd freeze and die. So you're, stu- you're stuck together for a, in a, in a, you know, a, ca- a cabin and a spacecraft, um, a small ship, anything like that. There's this, pro- there's this, I forget the, timeline of it it's in the book but after a certain number of days like the things that used to find you used to find charming about your roommate um suddenly just begin to really bug you like the way (laughs) that they eat or the sound they make with their mouth or the way they store their shoe whatever it is uh just just begins to drive you crazy and i i spent some time with this two, these two guys who'd been on Mir together and famously didn't get along to the extent that one of the mission ended early and one of them came back down. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and I met with them on a replica of Mir because I thought it would be <laughs> interesting to like see them in the space. They get along fine now. They're they're They were great, but they, um, you know, they, they, uh, they, you know, they, they said it was mission, you know, the people on the ground that were more annoying to them. And that's something 
that they call that redirection, I think, where you're really annoyed with someone, but you, you depend on that person for your safety. So you don't, you don't take it out on then you take it out on mission control. Oh, no. So there's all these instances in the mission transcripts where people are really grumpy with the folks down at NASA, <laughs> at mission control. Like, I can't go get that because it's over there in the next, do you not know where that's stored? This is really difficult, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so uh yeah but the, but the the thing one thing nasa does pretty well is choose the right kind of person somebody who's very easygoing who's very patient who has a good sense of humor that's critical you can't be uh, an irritable short-tempered nasty grumpy person yeah you're not gonna get chosen like i applied to be in a simulated Mars mission in Moscow, I wanted to do that. Why? Don't ask me why. I thought it'd be good for the book. But um, so I, I applied and they said, I made the first cut and they said, well, we'll be calling you soon um, for an interview. Uh, it was the European Space Agency. And they said, we'll be calling you soon. So a few weeks later, the phone rings at three in the morning and I like staggered to the hall and like <laughs> downstairs to get the this was, I mean, this was, I think we didn't have cell phones then. I got out of bed and I'm like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you don't know that I'm on the West coast of the United States. And they're like, okay. Yeah. You failed the test. (laughs) So that was the test. Oh, it's to see if you get angry. You'd be really grumpy. Yeah. How did you, how do you deal with somebody calling you at three in the morning? Wow. And the, for me, the answer is not very well. Wow. I, would, I would not make it as an astronaut. Wow. I, well, I'm so glad you brought it up because I was going to ask you for some career advice because I, I think there are probably people listening to us now who would like to one day go to space. Yes. And I was going to say, so what should they learn or what should they practice or what, what kind of qualities should they have as a person? So one is yeah. you got to be really nice. You got to be kind of calm and patient. You kinda, yeah. Here's an example. Okay. Yeah. Peggy Whitson, Commander Whitson. Um, I was um, interview. I was supposed to interview her at some point, and I was just listening in on um, the conversation back and forth between her and, and Mission Control. And oh wait, no, maybe it was. A, I guess it was. A, I was re- reading a transcript or something. Anyway, it was. I, I was privy to a conversation between her and Mission Control where um, the people in Mission Control said, "Oh, Commander Whitson, um, those all those photographs that you took earlier." Um, we can't find them. And she just calmly go, and it was clearly like a whole morning's work. And she just goes, that's fine. I'll do them again. Wow. And I would have been like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Look again. Do you know how long that took? You know, I, I, you, know, you have to be the kind of person who just is unflappable mm-hmm. and calm. Also, not, not just so that you get along with the other astronauts, but also so if there's an emergency, you can kind of keep your wits about you and, and deal with it in a calm mm-hmm. way. So, so that's, I don't know if you can make yourself be that person, but, and they find ways to kind of um, uh, test you without you knowing it, like the call phone call that I got. And then there was another case where um, there was a guy who was applying to be an astronaut and <clears throat> they said to him, um, yeah, so we're going to need you to fly an F4. When I get, we're going to, train you on flying you know this fighter jet i think it was an f4 uh, and so um you know there'll be someone with you on board and um uh, but we need you to kind of just see if that's something you could do well they had no intention of having this guy fly that plane but it was just like is, are you willing to try that you know is that something will you say yes what will they say wow so that was a test yeah okay so you have to be kind of daring you have to you be, have to be kind of yes you gotta you gotta be up for a challenge you gotta be brave um what about um what about there might be some people who are listening who are like space no way i i like bathrooms i like showers (laughs) but 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 they want to do something that would that would be helpful they would like to design something for yes yes what do you think uh like what do you think somebody should invent that would make space life better for the astronauts oh oh um wow a lot of the things that have been invented on earth have made life a lot better like a kindle you know because mm. you you are limited to you have a little personal 
bag and it's limited by weight. So, you know, you can't bring a lot of books. So, um, muse, you know, an, an iPod and a, a Kindle, those are, those are huge for, um, in terms of making life better and more yeah, interesting so stuff to make people like feel connected yeah, and yeah, not yeah. be less bored maybe well yeah right right one one astronaut brought us a karaoke machine which could have gone well or really badly karaoke <laughs> machine. Oh, oh no I don't think I would want to be trapped with somebody with, who uh, with a karaoke it. machine it depends yes. on how well they can sing Yes, exactly. And, and what songs are on the playlist? Yeah, exactly. Do they have good taste? All right. We are getting so many questions that are coming in. So I'm going to, I'm going to start asking you some of those. Okay. So this is a question from a 10 year old listener who wants to know what is the coolest thing about space? The cool, well, I haven't been there, so I'm just guessing. Um, Well, first of all, weightlessness is really incredibly cool. I was so surprised that sometimes astronauts would come, they'd be like, yeah, it's so annoying. You put something down and it floats away. You know, you I just want to be able to put something down. I'm like, yeah, but you're flying. You're like Superman. You are literally <laughs> flying through the air. <laughs> Don't complain. <laughs> um, uh, that, yeah. They were like complaining. They might yeah, also your hands, your hands float up while you're sleeping and hit you and wake you up. So uh, that's something to ev- invent some kind of um, hand Velcro. <laughs> Like a glove. Yeah, yeah, like just so you don't hit yourself in the face. Yeah. Uh, Wait, what was the question again? The last one was. Oh, that was the the coolest thing about space. Oh, 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 oh. I think uh, I'm guessing, well, for me, weight flying is flying is my answer. But I think it'd be unbelievably cool to see Earth as this giant ball, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. to see that in person would be uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Right. Somebody wants to know, is there a, a story or a chapter that you wish you could have included in the book, but you didn't, you didn't get to report? Um, well, there's things that I tried to do. I, I like I, for the restricted bathing chapter, <laughs> I asked NASA, I contacted the public affairs office and, and I said, when this was, when the space shuttle was still flying, I said, so when this shuttle, cause the shuttle's not that big. It's not like the space station. There's a lot of bodies in there for a significant period of time um, without a shower. And I said, I, I, can I be there when you open the door to smell the space shuttle? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, you absolutely cannot. <laughs> go away. Please go away. Um, so that kind of thing I wanted to do. Um, well, I would have, I, I would have absolutely loved to, to fly uh, on the, space shuttle but that that, that you, know, you can't as a private citizen you, yeah you can't um unless yeah i guess you know you could pay a ton of money they were they had a couple of space tourists back then but that would have been the ultimate that would have been amazing and there was or in the 80s and the early 80s there was a journalist in space program uh, hmm. and i, I uh, an editor of mine had uh, made it to the semifinals i think for that and that would have been it so that would have been so cool if that kept going i would have loved yeah. to do that yeah that would have been awesome all right yeah. um here's another question somebody wants to know why did you decide to write an adaptation of your book for kids and how different was the writing process from for this version compared to the adult version sure yeah um i uh, well it was more that my publisher ww norton uh, they didn't used to have a young readers division and now they do. And they said to me, oh, well, we're going to adapt Packy Forest because, you know, it's an interesting topic for young readers, space that is, and all the stuff we've been talking about. And they were going to just have, you know, hire somebody to do that process. I'm like, no, 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 mm. no, no. My name is on there. I want to do it. <laughs> My agent was kind of like, really, you want to do that? I'm like, yes, I do. I, cause I'm, I, I, to me, it was a fun challenge. First of all, you you just sort of take half of it out completely. And then, and then you, and, and, and the re you kind of, you do have to rework it, but not as much as you'd think, you know, you know, cause it's, um, you know, kids are smarter than you may think, you know, 10, uh, you know, I'm aiming for about 10 years old and 10 year olds are pretty on the ball, you know, they, they know what's going on. So it was a matter maybe of just some, some of the language was um, uh, making it a little bit, simpler but not dumbing anything down just just kind of making it clearer and not cramming too much into one sentence you know mm-hmm. so 
um, but all the, you know, but the, but the content is the same really in those, in those sections that I included really. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not um, writing for an audience that's, you know, that's too far removed from a, um, a 10 year old. I, I guess maybe I'm kind of a 10 year old at heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So somebody wants to know who was your favorite astronaut to interview. And they also want to know if you could interview anybody who has something to do with space science, who would that be? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I would have loved to talk to Michael Collins uh, because he, uh, I mean, he was alive at the time I was working on the book, but he, I mean, it's very, it's very uh, they, they've done so many interviews like Neil Armstrong and Mike Collins. Uh, they, it's pretty hard to get them to talk, but I, I wish that I, I would have loved to speak to him because he wrote beautifully. His book was really beautiful. And he, I don't, I, it, for people who don't know this, he's the, he was the one who stayed uh, in the module orbiting while Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong went down to the surface of the moon. So he went around to the dark side of the moon by himself, you know, just what a thing, you know, wow. and, and, and to, to, to be the guy who's there and almost on the moon, but not there. He, he just, and he's a, a lovely writer. I, I would have liked to speak to him. Um, who was my favorite astronaut to talk to? You know what? It was, it was the cosmonauts in, 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 in outside Moscow. Well, in Moscow, there were two cosmonauts that I ended up speaking to. Um, and they were very, they were fun. Uh, they answered the kinds of questions American astronauts maybe wouldn't have <laughs> answered. Uh, they were, yeah, it was, it was fun. We were drinking whiskey at 10 in the morning <laughs> in the well, office of the director of the Museum of Cosmonautics. You have your whiskey at 10 a.m. with your shrimp cocktail in a, in a in toothpaste tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but it was fun to talk to Jim Lovell. I mean, he was an Apollo astronaut and um, he, it, 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 that was exciting to speak to him. And he's a, a lovely guy with a great sense of humor. Yeah. Okay. So I was thinking, um, after having read your book, I was thinking if I was going to go to space, you know, what would I do to make my life easier? And I decided I, the answer is absolutely you have to shave your head. That's just one less thing to watch. Oh, right. Oh yeah. But I just love, uh, because I've got really flat, straight hair. I love the way, you know, like your hair looks all <laughs> thick and luxuriant. You know, it's no, like I would, I would not cut my hair. No, 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 no. Yeah. Is there anything that you would, you would want to do or that you would want to take along to make life in space nicer for you if you were going to go? I would want to bring, um, I would, things that have color, almost like, a, you know, maybe one of those paint books, those, you know, that shows all the paint chips because there's so little color on a space, you know, out the window, there's no color. And on the spacecraft, everything is metal and gray and white. And yeah. it just, it just seems, and also um, some nice smells. The, some of the cosmonauts, those two cosmonauts talked about it, you know, how it smells of paint and rubber. It's horrible. And, and women, they would get bags of mail and women would send perfumed letters. And we said, we loved those letters. Wow. Yeah, wow. the smell of perfume. That's yeah. very sweet. Do you yeah. have any idea about like where you would want to go if you got to go? Oh, I would love to go to the moon. Absolutely. I would love to go. M Mars is just too much time getting there. It's just, just too long a journey. I'm too, gr <laughs> I'm too impatient and grumpy. And, and um, I mean, it'd be amazing to, to, to be on Mars, but I'll take the moon. The moon would be, <laughs> the moon would be amazing. It's a, you know, you're taking a week there and back, right? It's not, it's not a huge time investment sounds like a long time i mean a week like a week well, in a know, car would be hard you're not spending a week on the moon you know yeah but I, well you know they're, they're gonna build a i think there's we're on track to build a um a habitat there i mean some kind of permanent presence and that'd be very cool to visit yeah yeah i would uh, love for, to yeah for, Sorry, Mary, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say, for people listening, we have a few minutes left if anybody wants to sneak in any last questions. Um, I was thinking, where would I like to go if I could go anywhere? Everywhere I thought of was just too dangerous to send people. But I recently found out that there might be uh, little diamonds all over the surface of Mercury. Have you heard about what? that? What? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Really? Yeah. Because, Diamonds on the surface of Mercury? Yeah. Because, just because it's so hot and it's not, something... 
No, it's the pressure that would make diamonds. How would that? Yeah. Well, so on Earth, the way we get diamonds is they form underground. Pressure, from all the right. pressure of Earth, the pressure of uh, something yeah. having a carbon. On Mercury, there's a lot of carbon on the surface, and all of these asteroids have slammed into it. Oh, these- so it's an instant diamond. Yeah, they call them shock diamonds. Whoa. But, I've, yeah. Whoa. Can't go because it's too hot. <laughs> yeah, right. Hot. <laughs> right. It would that yeah be uncomfortable. But how okay. amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, just, cool. so they're probably all over the surface? Yeah. I think they're quite small. Like we, know, we yeah. don't, we haven't observed them yet. We've kind yeah, of just yeah, yeah. predicted that they could be there. So that sounds cool. And then That's I, I really recently cool. found out that um, Saturn has like auroras, the way we have aurora borealis mm-hmm. on Earth, the Northern Lights. Turns out Saturn has them too. How beautiful would that be? That'd see? be incredible. That'd be incredible. Yeah. Okay. Well, you were thinking, you were thinking just you, and if you could go anywhere, yeah. Yeah, anywhere, yeah, anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No restrictions. Uh, okay, so um, let me ask you, a, a, this is a, a question for me. Um, so it sounds like going to space takes a lot of work. It asks a lot of, of right. astronauts. They have a lot of re- restrictions on things. Why do you think that people still do it anyway? What is it about space that makes us want to do this thing that is so hard? I think it's... well. Uh, um similar and a very uh a similar I mean space is on a much larger scale but but when I like to go backpacking and backpacking is is you know you're you you can't prepare a delicious fancy meal you can't bring along an espresso machine you're sleeping on the cold hard ground you're not going to sleep very well it's a little uncomfortable your feet hurt you know you're so there's a lot of inconvenience and pain but you get to this place where that you know there's no one else there and 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 you look and it's just beautiful and the stars are incredible and no one else is around and you don't care that it was uncomfortable and that you didn't get that much sleep last night because it's so beautiful and so different so i i i think and i i don't know i'm the kind of person that's always drawn to kind of the empty places on a map because i think what's there you know, what is, there's nothing there. I want to be there. And I don't, I guess that's just part of human nature for some of us anyway, that urge to explore and to go somewhere that nobody's been before to see what's there. What is it like? What will happen? It's the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, your, the, your book is called Packing for Mars. And I think uh, we're going back to the moon next. Yes. And then yes. next stop after that is Mars. And so just as we close, I'm wondering for your, about your thoughts about what it will be like for astronauts go to, to go to Mars, truly one of the big empty places oh, on the map. Yeah. Oh, I think that, I mean, astronauts are people who want to explore. And for a long time now, they really haven't been able to explore. They've been able to, you know, they've been in low Earth orbit, which is cool, but it's not the same as going to the moon for the first time or, or the, the fifth time, whatever. Um, it's it, it, so to be able to explore that's what they train for and that's what they live for and I think they would I think there'll be uh, plenty of volunteers and and I think you know even for a, a one way like you know you you have a you have a habitat there and the idea is that the astronaut I don't know if NASA would do this but um, you hear a lot of talk about that that you just be sort of emigrating you're like I'm, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna live the rest of my days on Mars I'm not gonna think I'm not gonna come back and there's plenty of people who do that. Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space, she said, I'm ready to go right now. This was a while back. I don't know how she is doing these days, but um, I think, uh, oh, I think everybody would be like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Wow. Think, yeah. Really? Would you do it? Would you say, I'm going to take a one-way ticket to Mars and goodbye, no, everybody? You no, can no, no, swell, not but... me. Not me. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to the moon for a week, but no, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I love the earth. I mean, just the feeling of, you know, a warm breeze or the sun on your skin. And I, I don't know, nature, just all of it's an incredibly beautiful planet that we live on. No, I wouldn't want to leave that behind. Is going to Mars, is it even harder than sending astronauts to the space station or, or to the moon? It's, I mean, it's much further away, right? It's and much imagine- further away. Yes. Yes. And, and, Oh, there's just a lot of challenges. Also, the, you know, the, you're exposed because it takes a long time. You're, you're, to get there, you're exposed to a lot of uh, cosmic and solar radiation, which uh, is no one's quite sure how deadly or dangerous that is. But you know, the the habitat on Mars will have to protect you. It could be underground or part of it dug into 
the, the soil. I mean, there, there, so there's, um, you know, you're going to be, it's an indoors life. Yeah. It's, those are some really interesting problems to solve, protecting astronauts from this new harsh environment, finding places for them to live long-term. They can't, right. they can't pack enough lunch. So they're going to have to learn how to gonna grow. Have to, right. They're going to have to grow uh, foods and yeah, they're going to have to um, recycle their urine, that kind of thing. You know, they're I mean, it's all, you're not going to bring enough water, you know, but they have that. I mean, they have got that rig right now. They, and they, you, you they've had press conferences where they're like, you tell me the difference. This is tap water and this is recycled urine. You tell me. Oh, no. That... <laughs> well, I, yeah. I processed my own urine. I didn't go so far as to drink somebody else's processed urine. <laughs> did you really? I did. And how was well, it? it? was It was a different method. So it was very sweet. You know, they had done, I forget the some osmosis kind of deal and they it, it was it, it wasn't it didn't taste like tap water it just didn't, wow. it was kind of like that horrible bug juice you get in the cafeteria super sweet <laughs> but but it's not you're so not brave. not like pee pee didn't have well, that not urine not that bad really <laughs> Well, I'm glad you have brought the interview back around to where we started with, which is the problem of peeing in space. (laughs) I wanted to say thank you so much to Mary Roach, the author of Packing for Mars for Kids. Mary's uh, new book is available at your bookstore, your local bookstore. For more information on the Commonwealth Club and all of the upcoming events, you can check out commonwealthclub.org. Mary, it's been a treat to, to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Kara. It's always fun to talk to you. And the Commonwealth Club is just uh, lovely for hosting me. Thank you, Commonwealth Club. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for all of your great questions. Yes, they were great. They're wonderful. <laughs> um, I'm Kara Platoni. Thanks, everybody. And take care. You've been listening to a podcast of Inforum from the Commonwealth Club of California. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live or online events at commonwealthclub.org slash inform. And join us again soon for another podcast from Inforum. You never know who you'll meet.